0: Monica Perez and here with us today is an author I have long admired. Many books of his have I read and I'd like to talk about most of them today. Gregory Harms, before we talk any more about your books or whatever, let's just say hello. Hello, thank you so much for being here.
1: Thanks for having me, Monica.
0: I am positive you don't remember, but 10 or 11 years ago when I bought my first copy of this book, The Palestine-Israel Conflict, A Basic Introduction. I actually, I looked it up on Amazon and I bought it in 2012. Yeah. And then I I had, I guess I couldn't find it, so I bought another one (laughs) (laughs) of the fourth edition also. So the reason I bought this book and at that time, and I I Facebooked you and I was like, this is, you know, great, whatever. And, you know, I I think we're on different Sides of the ideological spectrum, although I feel like you and I are both now like, yeah, I don't even care. <laughs> you know, I don't need a label. It doesn't matter. I think the yeah, truth right. is more important than, you know, you're putting it in the ideological context. But you were very friendly. And, um, you know, because I have this, I'm a libertarian, but I'm also an anti-imperialist and a lot of anti-imperialism breaks left and i just you know i was hoping that we would have common ground which i like to find and i think we do so i've been wanting to talk to you for a long time i actually was so pleased to find on your website gregoryharms.com I, an interview you did not too long ago with a podcaster i know and respects william ramsey mm-hmm. i'm gonna put that link in the show notes of this show which will be on monica's dot because it's great it's Different from what we're going to talk about, you're a philosophy professor. You talk about that. William is totally up to that conversation. <laughs> I don't think I would rise yeah. to the occasion there. But but what I want to talk about is the the three books that you wrote. It starts with that Palestine-Israel conflict. The second one is called "Straight Power Concepts in the Middle East," and the third one is called "It's Not About Religion." But let's start at the top, and I'll tell you why I bought this book, and then. Uh, you can tell me why you wrote it. And then I just want to kind of give people a survey of the book. Yeah, I had a radio show on terrestrial radio on a conservative radio station, just kind of accidentally. It was, I wasn't a broadcaster. Somebody found whatever I was saying interesting and she happens to be a radio producer, but it was a conservative station. It was in 2012. The war on terror was hot and it was like an election year and all of that. And I just thought, I don't it was a call-in show and I thought I just don't know the facts. I don't know the facts It's very emotional a lot of you know slurs are thrown around and I just I don't know the facts and I'm anti-war Let's just see is there a right or wrong here and I found Exactly what I was looking for this book is amazing. I mean, it's not that big and It starts from the beginning. I mean, thousands of years ago, the research is impeccable. Your integrity like as a writer is obvious, and the writing is so readable. It's really great. Really.
1: I'm really glad to hear that.
0: Yeah. I mean, just exactly what I wanted. Uh, What I'm amazed at is that I actually found it, (laughs) (laughs) because I'm sure it'll be pushed back. But I was, I have to say, I was, you know, I was a little disturbed by what I read because it was a very different narrative from what I was hearing on my radio station and what the listeners wanted to hear. And, and you just don't want to, you know, have to wade into a subject that's highly emotional and tell people stuff that, you know, there are two sides to a story or whatever. And I, I just, so like, I'll just tell you right off the bat, like the whole thing makes me nervous. I just, I, I'm not, you know, I grew up in a very, like the most Jewish county in America. It was my home county. I have Syrian ancestry. Like I just, I don't even, but I'm just an American. I've never been over there. I don't really have a dog in the race. And now that we're funding things and well, we always have been, I guess, I just think we need to know the facts and I think we have to have the courage to talk about it. So here you are. (laughs) Can you just tell us quickly, like, why you decided to write this book and what were you doing before? Were you always a professor? I mean, obviously, scholarship is your thing.
1: No, I I started teaching uh, later. Uh, It started with the books. And um, I, I, I joke with, you know, friends and family that I really had no business writing this book. I had, I had no, I really, and if I look back on, you yeah, know, in hindsight, I, I really didn't have any business writing it.
0: <laughs> wow. But it's so great. I mean, you are truly a gentleman scholar then from the, an old tradition.
1: That's very kind. Um, at the time, not, a, I don't want to give you too much biography because it's boring, but I was a graphic designer. I was an artist, you know, that's what I was doing, you know? And then I got frustrated to the point of anger, like at my own ignorance. And I couldn't stand it anymore, so I started studying history. And then I, I was like, "What's going on in the Middle East?"
0: Because of nine eleven, right?
1: Because well, nine eleven really put the cherry on the Sunday.
0: Okay, but you were already worried. Yeah,
1: about it. I was already. The ball was already rolling at that point. And I would ask people like, "What, what's going on in Israel? What's the, the Palestinians, the PLO? I didn't even know what that stuff was. I didn't even know what the PLO was." And then they are like all oh, those people have been fighting for thousands of years, and you know it goes back to the Bible and all this. And I'm like, they can't, that doesn't, that can't be right, right? So I, I led with my sense of incredulity.
0: Yeah, I call it truth dar. I think yeah. the word is like <laughs> You're right. discernment, but I'm like, mm, that doesn't seem right. And I have to say, my, I remember the moment of nine eleven. I was watching TV and the twin towers fell from new york and i I remember thinking in that moment we have to resolve the palestinian issue
1: yeah Yeah. it has
0: to be resolved and then the first thing they said is like we're going to nuke them and i was like oh oh, wait you know i don't know if he said it like that but i was just it, it was kind of like and i don't want to drag you into this if you don't agree with it but like obama i was just like oh my gosh he is going to heal this country (laughs) <laughs> you know,
1: well, it he might heal this one, but it he didn't uh, heal those. Yeah. Well,
0: but he didn't heal this. one. You know what I mean? You have hope yeah, in this right. moment that some uh, age old conflict has come to a head and finally we can all come together and resolve it. And yeah. I've been disappointed every time. But but you did the right thing. Like you actually, you know, that it, that su- subject has spurred a sense of responsibility on your part to understand it.
1: Yeah, so I just started doing, I just started, I buried myself in research on this topic on the Middle East, and specifically the Palestine-Israel conflict, and I was right. What I was hearing was wrong. Yeah. And I, I was astounded at how uncomplicated this conflict actually is. I w- it was really jarring. I was like, everything I'm hearing is wrong.
0: Yeah well I I have to say because of reading your books I had an interest in the subject beyond you know that and so when this bestseller I believe it was a bestseller came uh, yeah national bestseller Lawrence in Arabia by Scott Anderson which is a yeah. very like mainstream yeah. book but as so often is the case if it's a really good book the references, the footnotes and stuff will be primary sources a lot of that and as I so I would read stuff in there and and a, a, If I recall correctly, many of his sources totally reflect what you're saying. Like, you're not coming from a position of, like, speculation. You don't bring a lot. I don't think you're bringing a lot of bias there. I mean, the facts check out is what I'm saying.
1: No, I I decided day one that I was going to, one, keep myself out of the story. Just I can't stand when historians and scholars and, you know, whomever, uh, if they put themselves in the frame. So, I, I attempted to stay out of the frame. And two, I wanted to exercise as much scholarly rigor as possible. So, I, if you go through my sources in the endnotes and then the, the bibliography, a lot of them are scholarly sources, you know. I, I, I try, I'm very careful about selecting sources and, you know, going through the footnotes and I, I tried to try to be meticulous about these things because this this conflict the, this subject's too important to just wing it and write an opinion piece
0: and you emotional know? because then people will attack you and you have to in a position and it's funny
1: yeah yeah
0: what you're talking about really resonates with me for a couple of reasons first of all the fact that you're a graphic designer explains two things to me um, graphic artists I what, did you say exactly graphic
1: right, graphic designers okay. fine. I so know.
0: because you you aren't bringing a lot of this puffed up like i'm on a mission to like you know i don't know there's something a little more cut and dried a little more analytical and i actually feel the same way like i was an investment banker and like kind of math person and i got into this broadcasting thing and i feel like it brought a different approach to analysis i don't care about i was never interested in politics i just am trying to like find the truth and also the way you talk about it, especially when I was listening to the William Ramsey, it it you lack pomposity, and I really appreciate that. <laughs> and it's just so great. Yeah. so, so, yes, I feel like your mathiness has contributed to your ability to uh, analyze this in an objective way.
1: I just wanted to be, I just wanted to treat the subject matter very carefully. there, 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 there yeah, you you said it. There, there's a lot of emotion. Uh, there's a breathtaking amount of opinion and i just wanted i didn't want to contribute to that yeah i just, I just wanted to write a book that explained the history yes that, that, that hopefully did it clearly and that was anchored in um yeah, scholarly rigor. An
0: irrefutable facts. So, so, when you'll say things like this, it has evidence to support it. This does not have evidence to support it. Like I've noticed that you say stuff like that. Yeah. What I was very impressed by is how early you start in this conversation because when people say this has been going on for thousands of years, your response was, was it really? No. And then <laughs> here, and then it that, wasn't. That's why I it yeah. And it's like you actually give what was really happening. So would you mind, do you think it's worthwhile to spend just a few minutes saying like kind of basically the 2000 years prior to 1882 (laughs) or 3000, whatever?
1: Well, the the Todd Ferry, (laughs) Todd Ferry uh, is a friend and he's got a he's got an academic background in Near Eastern archaeology. Your
0: co-author on this book.
1: Yeah. Yeah. He wrote the first chapter. Uh, the first chapter is superb. Todd did an excellent job. Uh, He runs through through the ancient archaeological record, and we did that on purpose, very much on purpose, and that was to dispel this myth that the conflict goes back to, you know, Abraham and all this stuff, you know. So we wanted to make it definitively clear that the conflict does not go back that far, that what you have in that area are multiple peoples, the Canaanites, living in relative harmony. You do have a brief United Kingdom of Israel, but but I think what's important to highlight for for your listeners is, I hear this a lot, the question arises, who was there first? and the answer is both of them. The Jews and the Hebrews can trace their lineage back to Canaan, but so can the Palestinians. The Palestinians are like a mixture of Canaanite stock and Arab stock, but both people can trace their lineage back to the ancient period, and I think that's really important to keep in mind. Furthermore, I don't think it has any relevance it doesn't have any relevance to the modern conflict this conflict is maybe a hundred years old depends on when you want when you want to start the clock but it, it's it's a modern conflict it's not even a hundred years old or you could say it's a hundred years old I guess uh, if you want to um, I think that's putting it bitterly I mean really you could say it started in 1967
0: really 1967 I mean as far as the age of the Of the conflict, you know, I can't help but think of the American Indians and their claims, and also ideas of title and what defines a, you know, a nation and property. So if we have time, then maybe I'll like get deeper into your moral philosophical. political brain. But I I really do want to highlight some of the dates. It's hard for me to do that because I like to go into the ideas right away. So I noticed, uh, I read, I don't know in which book, maybe maybe a couple of them, that in 1882, the idea of going to the Holy Land, of Jews going to the Holy Land, was a reaction to the pogroms in Russia. Yes. Correct? Yes. And it's not clear to me why. There were those pogroms in Russia. Did you do you know what the origin of that was? What
1: that's in the czarist politics? OK,
0: got it. And yes. How got how the it.
1: czar and how the czar and the power elite in Russia and Poland at the time viewed the Jews as a threat.
0: OK, well, I'll have to do some research on that myself because I'm interested in Russian history. I like Russian
1: literature. Yeah, that's yeah, so what I want.
0: OK, so there was the pogroms, which I will probably come across in my reading. So something, you know, between 1882 and 1917, which isn't that long a time period, uh, in 1917, Arthur Balfour wrote to Lord yes. Rothschild, like, we yes. will establish a homeland for the Jewish people within Palestine. And it was a little ambiguous, and people say, oh, it's because the Rothschilds had, you know, the English had mortgaged their entire governments for World War One. I. I think in one of your books, you suggest that uh, there, I think maybe Wilson wanted consent for, or financing or whatever to, for, for entering the war. And maybe that was what this was a concession for, but do you remember how did they get from, like, how did that take off like that in 40 years?
1: Well, I think it's important to keep in mind, uh, for for your listeners is there's the confluence of three factors. One, yes, Eastern European and Russian Jews are fleeing. That part of the world, in a movement called Zionism. Now, the, the Zionism is the quest for to establish a homeland for the Jews to escape the persecution that they were suffering in Russia and Eastern Europe. So they deced- in the
0: vicinity of Mount Zion.
1: In, yeah, well, they that's
0: why it's called Zionism
1: you yes it, uh, uganda was a was, <laughs> okay they, okay they they looked at parts of africa like we're going to pick a we build zion there you know okay uh, and so they the zionist forefathers decided well jerusalem's better it's an easier easier sell so we're going to look at palestine okay well there's a problem right there you got jews fleeing eastern europe and russia in a quest to establish a jewish homeland quote unquote um which appears in the balfour declaration that you just mentioned um they're gonna they're gonna establish a jewish a jewish homeland in palestine now you've got british colonial interests also so at this time britain and france are relinquishing there are various colonial holds throughout the world but the british wanted to maintain a presence in palestine
0: they already knew about oil right or are you talking about you're still talking Uh, about the 19th
1: century oil became a factor a little later but it was it was it was. Still part of the calculus, you know. I mean, it, was, it wasn't, it was I don't think it was a major consideration. Okay. But it was th- a
0: foothold in the Ottoman Empire. They weren't willing to totally relinquish that.
1: And you won't find much oil in Palestine, that's for sure.
0: But still, as a forward base, it's a reasonable thing.
1: Yeah, I, yeah, I got you. Yeah. So, you've got Jewish Zionism, you've got British colonialism, and then you've got this developing sense of nationalism among the palestinians because everyone else is achieving independence you know all these countries in the middle east you know lebanon syria jordan iraq these are all new countries it's important to keep in mind as well
0: was that um from the sykes-pico agreement or are we still before that
1: uh, this is around the serks Pago agreement. That was 1916.
0: Okay, so we're talking about the conflict. What was happening during World War One involved the Ottoman Empire and ended up shuffling around borders and really, I mean, Wilson might say spreading democracy or whatever, but they were, I, I mean, I'm just hacking away here, but like that the Western powers yeah. intentionally disrupted that area and then... Specifically with Sykes-Picot, this Lawrence in Arabia book will say that there was a lot of lying going on from the West to the Arabs and or the Middle Eastern.
1: Yeah, I, I've got a section in my book called Promises, Promises, and it's one lie after another. You know, they're going to promise the Palestinians independence. That's a lie. You know, they're going to promise this. They're going to promise that. It was just one lie after another. And so you got these three factors. you got Zionism, British colonialism, and Palestinian nationalism. Well, the Palestinians were like, well, we want our own country. Everyone else is getting their own country. Why shouldn't we get our own country?
0: Well, what defined them as Palestinians then? Did they speak a different language or did they have a defined region? Why not just be half of Jordan and half of this one?
1: Just that area was a territorial designation that went back to the Roman Empire. I'm not saying that the Roman... Yeah, that, no, that, but they, the,
0: these people considered themselves, whether yeah. we would call it a tribe or a culture, yeah. or a subculture...
1: Well, up until that point, I mean, most of those peoples considered themselves Ottoman subjects. They're part of, the, part of a greater Ottoman Empire. And then that, that area gets carved up into Lebanon, Syria, Jordan, Iraq, and that's when this nationalism started to take hold. I mean, that's that's to go back to your sex-pico agreement. With a stick in the sand, they just decided, okay, that's going to be Jordan, that's going to be Lebanon, you know, and they just, that's oh, going to be Palestine, you know. So the Palestinians were like, we want our own country, you know. So a, a sense of nationalism took hold in that territorial designation, that, geop- that this new geopolitical entity um i i brought up the uh, the the roman empire but that's not to suggest that this nationalism dates back that far no way but now it's new and now you know right in the middle of world war one you know you got you got this like i said developing palestinian nationalism so then you got all these european and russian jews flooding into the country and the palestinians are like wait what are you guys doing here? You know, this is our country. And the Zionists were like, we're going to build a, a Jewish homeland here. The confluence of these three factors is this doesn't, this is unstable. So the British leave to, fast, to cut the story short. The British leave, the, the Zionists continue to expand their developments in that area, uh, much to Palestinian resentment. And then this is fast-forwarding to 1947 and 1948. Uh, a war breaks out between the Palestinians and the Zionist Jews with some involvement on the side by the other uh, surrounding Arab states, which gets overstated. And so when the armistice is finally agreed upon, this is now the birth of the West Bank and the Gaza Strip. The UN had designated, oh, we're going to give... The Zionist Jews like the majority of the country. And that's when that's what precipitated the war really, was the UN goes, okay, we got this simmering conflict between these two sets of interests, between the Zionists and the Palestinian Arabs. So we got to solve the problem. So they solved the problem by making the problem worse.
0: Why was there a problem? Like I see immigration into this country. You can have massive amounts of people from one country come into a small region, but it doesn't they don't like Somalians in Minneapolis are not demanding their own state.
1: No, but but the Zionist agenda, the Zionist program was to establish a Jewish, it was to create a Jewish state in Palestine. Okay well that's gonna, that's not gonna that's yeah. not gonna play well with the Palestinians. There's already a functioning vibrant culture living in Palestine right They were they were there and now I have these Zionist European and Russian Jews are flooding the country and saying we're gonna build a country here and So the Palestinians were like, well you can't build a country in our country right
0: I, I saw a mention of uh, like discriminatory labor laws. Was this at that time where there was a concerted effort to actually segregate workers and have, like, if it was Jewish held land, it should have Jewish workers on it and not Palestinian workers? Was or is that a later development? Because I was wondering if that contributed to the conflict.
1: That contributes to the conflict that they didn't want to use, you know, Arab, you know, laborers in certain circumstances
0: so it might not have been just as smooth a thing as well you move into mi- minneapolis and you work at the store and then you buy the store and then you know you were
1: pretty clear to the palestinians what was going on right
0: okay they were intentionally getting pushed out from some of the quotes i read of yours they called it transfer they actually wanted to transfer yeah. the inhabitants
1: and then you know, this war breaks out in in in, in 40 in 47 and 48 and um the UN had just given fifty-six percent of the country to the to the Zionists. The Palestinians are furious, you know. Of course, they're furious. Well, why would why would the why would a minority population be awarded the majority of the country?
0: Right, and it, and it isn't like they intended to cohabit.
1: No, co-inhabit. Yeah. So, 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 well, you can look at the armistice in forty-eight. Um, that fifty-six percent becomes 78 percent
0: of the land yeah And you're still talking about a minority
1: the zionists the zionists saw an opportunity in the war to expand that 56 percent
0: also i one, one thing i found interesting about those numbers at the time i think i saw something like just off the top of my head 1.6 million palestinians and seven hundred thousand. Jews, maybe something like that. Over a million Palestinians, under a million Jews. So I don't know, I just think that's interesting because I think there are two million Palestinians in Gaza. Yeah. Right now. So right. when you think over, of
1: a little over, yeah.
0: Giving seventy-eight percent of the land to seven hundred thousand people, it's, yeah. you know, it, it seems excessive.
1: So the the fifty six percent becomes seventy-eight percent. That's when you get that's what forms the green line. That is the dividing line between Israel proper and the West Bank and Gaza Strip and East Jerusalem. That, that is now twenty-two percent, the West Bank, Gaza, and East Jerusalem. This twenty-two percent of what was originally uh what's called mandatory Palestine. Right, mandated.
0: mandated as mandated, Palestine. yes.
1: Right. So that was twenty-two percent. So then in sixty-seven. Fast forward even further. There's another war, the Six Day War, a very famous Mm -hmm. war, received a lot of attention by historians, and they occupied those 22 that 22 percent in '67. They essentially seized control of what they couldn't seize control of in '48.
0: Gaza and the West Bank, specifically.
1: Yeah, yeah. So '67 was just an opportunity to finish the job and they they have occupied the west bank and east jerusalem ever since Now, in 2005 they withdrew quote-unquote they disengaged is the term from the government of the gaza strip that is they don't mean israel doesn't maintain a military presence a full-time military presence in the gaza strip they withdrew but that doesn't mean the Gaza Strip's not occupied. It's still occupied. It's just well, the
0: occupied. perimeter is
1: it's just occupied from the outside. Right. The, the the coastline, the airspace, the electrical grid, the cell grid. All of that's controlled by Israel.
0: And their trade. So that's what the Gaza blockade is, they cannot trade and, going and, and, and,
1: and their trade. If what goes in, what you know, what goes out, it has who to goes to go through in? Israel. Who goes in who goes out? you know the, all this is all tightly controlled between the Israelis and the Egyptians at this land border uh, like port called Rafa. So Rafa, you see like UN trucks are kind of trickling in aid and so on and so forth. Uh, and people if they want to leave Gaza or come back into Gaza, they typically go through Rafa. There's two major ports. there's Rafa in the south and there's Areez. In the in the north, Erez is the port that the um, this how you enter into Israel. But Rafa, you enter into Egypt in the Sinai Peninsula. So they so they would they disengaged from Gaza in 2005, but they still maintain control of the place. I mean, like I said, the airspace, the coastline. They say, you know, fishermen can't go, you know, this you know, they they control, they regulate how far fishermen can go out into the sea to fish. I mean, it's it's horrendous. The the the, the situation in Gaza is just it it's it's horrendous. It's it's a it's it's a humanitarian nightmare.
0: Well, have you uh, been there?
1: I have I have uh I was there in 2002. Wow. Uh, yeah, during the second intifada
0: so what are the intifadas
1: the intifadas were uprisings the intifadas were uprisings there was the first intifada in 1987 the second intifada happened uh they, they ended around you could say 2003 i guess um these were these were uprisings by the palestinians to resist occupation
0: in those spaces or do they want to take the space do they want to push the land take land back are they just trying to maintain that 22 percent or do they want to
1: Palestinians want a state and that is the diplomatic point of departure is a two it's called what's called a two-state solution solution. yeah the two-state solution will be a Palestinian state roughly in West Bank East Jerusalem and Gaza Strip Now, the question, of course, is how much of the West Bank, because Israel keeps building settlements and bringing their own population, which is totally in contravention of international law, they're building settlements. So it's like, Monica, you and I are eating a pizza, or or you and I are are negotiating over a pizza. I'm eating it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> while 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 we negotiate,
0: right.
1: <laughs> and so obviously you would have grievances right. like what, what? Greg keeps eating the pizza.
0: <laughs> there's less and less to divide up. <laughs> less and, yeah. yeah,
1: so that's that's that that's what's going on with these settlements. And now there's a huge settlement population in the West Bank and East Jerusalem. Um, and settlements take up a great deal of space, not the settlements themselves, but the roads that connect the settlements. Throughout the West Bank, those are those take up a great deal of real estate, and it's a way of Israel gobbling up the pizza.
0: It's a little hard to accept the argument that the right to the land is thousands of years old, and then turn around and say, "Well, occupation—you know, possession is nine-tenths of the law." (laughs) You know what I'm saying?
1: No, Israel has legitimate. Security concerns, like what we just saw in Gaza on October 7th. Uh, That's a very scary thing. It's extremely violent. That's a serious security concern. So if Israel... Israel knows very well what it has to do to address its security concerns, and that is discontinue the occupation.
0: Oh, wow. You think that's the only answer? They seem to be escalating instead.
1: You don't... the. If you if you if your tanks are on someone else's streets, right? That's how I
0: felt about Iraq. Like I wouldn't they, watch that they, movie, American Sniper. I was like, I think that was their country, but whatever. Yeah, it's their <laughs> yeah,
1: it's their country. Yeah, and people tend to be a little touchy about foreign tanks on their streets. So if your tanks are on someone else's streets, you don't have a, a moral or ethical or legal position.
0: Would you entertain the thought that any anything like October seventh or nine eleven or whatever was an, a false flag?
1: Or I think I know what you mean, but go I'm ahead. just
0: saying if Un- say, if if a, a cynical or conspiratorial position was well, Israel really wants to get people to leave Gaza or take it over, they need an excuse to invade it.
1: I don't think... Yeah, I've heard that. So they'll either
0: create the problem or exaggerate the problem.
1: I've seen that online. Like, how could could a country with such sophisticated intelligence services...
0: Get infiltrated by hang gliders.
1: Be asleep at the wheel.
0: I mean, that festival was not like they say it was like Coachella. It was like a hundredth the size of Coachella. So 1,400 people were killed. That's like half of the people who were there. That's a lot. I mean, it's... You know, it seems... It, it, I, I can understand why one might think I always go down the rabbit hole myself. And, you know, anytime I hear something like this, I, I like, does that sound right? Like, does it does it uh, pass the smell test? And, you know, there's definitely a question. It's the most surveilled country in the world, probably. And yeah.
1: hang gliders are kind of. I don't, I easy don't to think sneak. the Israelis want Gaza, I don't think they've okay. ever. Oh, that's I interesting. I don't okay. think they ever wanted Gaza. Oh,
0: interesting. Yeah.
1: Uh, I think, uh, well, I think we can just consult the statements of former Israeli Prime Minister Yitzhak Rabin.
0: Who was assassinated on the urge of the...
1: Who was assassinated, yeah. yeah. But before before
0: that, he said stuff. But before that, he said
1: stuff. <laughs> that, he said stuff. Uh, he, Yitzhak Rabin, former Israeli Prime Minister, said... Best case scenario, Gaza breaks off and falls into the Mediterranean.
0: Oh, okay. So he's saying they don't want it, but it's scary to them. They'd love it's, for it to just go away.
1: It's just a nuisance. Okay. There's nothing there. There's no, okay. there's no. There's no. There's no. It's the lo- West
0: Bank that we want. When we hear about Israeli settlements, that's always the West Bank. You're saying that's
1: the West Bank. Okay. That's, uh, Interesting. That, Boy. That, 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 that's East Jerusalem. It's I've not read God. four
0: books on this, and I didn't even realize that. Like they
1: didn't, then I, I, must not have been clear. No, about but it's so.
0: just hard to keep up with the details. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like we don't live it, and you know to just absorb raw information on like squiggles on a page to me. Yeah, you know you no. can sometimes miss it. And you've been no, there. I
1: don't think I don't think they want the guys. There's nothing okay. there. There's there's no like interesting natural. You know so no, at,
0: at most they'd want to clear it out because they're afraid of it and if they have to make stuff up
1: there's no natural then it's not ritual. really scary there, there, there's some gas okay. deposits off the coast but it's it got nothing to do with Gaza okay.
0: I always think everything is false flags so I'm not stipulating but I understand yeah. your point and it's a good one
1: no I I think that uh having Hamas around is useful if they if the if the Israelis want to Pound on Gaza—that I got a cover story,
0: but you—you you don't think they want that?
1: I don't think they. I think there's
0: a reason for that.
1: Well, they could have gotten rid of Hamas in 2014.
0: Well, I thought they contributed. Actually, that's one thing I found very interesting uh, in the early pages of this third book. It's not about religion, which is actually a small but beautiful book on very nice paper.
1: Yeah, they did a very nice job with that. Yes. Yeah.
0: So, um, but that it says right away, religious. But, you know, I'm paraphrasing it poorly, but like religious fanaticism is very easy to dismiss as being irrational. If you can blame it on religion, the book is called It's Not About Religion. If they could shift, (laughs) you know, in my like the way I'm thinking of it is if they could shift from the PLO, which was being effective, like Yasser Arafat was getting the Oslo Accords to move forward. As you point out, like there's a famous picture between I think it's, you know, Anwar Sadat.
1: with Clinton.
0: Yes, and Bill Clinton and sure. and Ava Aver- yeah. shaking hands, or is it yeah. Rabin, right?
1: It's like Rabin, so, yeah.
0: So, if you could, if there's some secular, articulate, political position that you're forced to say, I don't agree with it or whatever, but at least I understand what they're saying. Whereas, like the thing that makes me crazy about any kind of Iran rhetoric from from the beginning is... uh um it was when like ah madinejad was there they're like well they're just irrational nut jobs and if they got nukes they would blow up the world and it's like well maybe i don't understand really understand why iran is the focal point of the israel thing because they're far away as opposed to other other
1: iran iran supports hamas but that's not that 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 is not to suggest that the iranians are like you know initiate plan B. You know I'm that? just
0: saying, yeah, it's just easy to say they're irrational and there's no argument. Like, you don't have to listen to an argument if your answer is that person is insane. Or, yeah. So, I, so all my only point is that you would, one might prefer Hamas to the PLO because you, all you have to say is they're religious fanatics. They can't be reasoned with. They don't have a position. They, they'd rather blow everybody up. Then you know come up yeah. with something reasonable
1: no i well two two things to that i'll add to that one yeah people they then the news coverage they talk about yeah, the iranians are you know a bunch of lunatics or whatever talking about the and whoever mm-hmm. you know so on and so forth they, 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 they're dismissed as is is you know it's just it's a theocracy they're crazy uh this is not the opinion of the american intelligence services Uh, a number of cia operatives have come forward and said unequivocally the iranians are rational actors and the uh, and the israelis are in agreement Hmm. so look at very sober careful analysis of the iranians uh the 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 security services in this country and the security services in israel which are second to none uh they refer to the iranians as rational actors
0: why would iran support hamas
1: well the question i think i think the question is why is there a hamas (laughs) more fundamentally why does the hamas exist Hamas is a, is a, is a, is a, is a resistance movement they 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 can trace their lineage back to the Muslim Brotherhood these things happen resistance movements take place under circumstances like occupation if if you don't like organizations like Hamas and i don't then don't create fertile soil in which they can develop, if Gaza was al- had been allowed to develop freely and openly, and you know, it could be a paradise. I've been there; it's beautiful. It's been smashed to bits, but it's still there's a beauty there. It could be, a, it could be a vacation destination for Europeans or something. You know, it it could be, it could be they could do an enormous economy.
0: So maybe Israel does want it.
1: So no, no, I don't. It, it. Okay, there. it's full. And...
0: So, so, do you but, think but, that two state solution but, would work then?
1: But, ha- but if it had been allowed to develop, yeah, there wouldn't be a Hamas,
0: right? And there would be. You think it would actually solve the conflict if the people who are there they don't need to get uh, you know the other seventy eight percent of the land back. No, they don't need to no. bring everybody home from you know the places. they I want
1: a state on twenty two percent. That's that's fine. Yeah.
0: Okay. So, I have... You,
1: make, you mentioned just now the two-state solution?
0: Yes. Did you Do you feel like that's just a... It totally would work, or would there continue to be national security concerns on Israel's part?
1: I think if, if Israel discontinued the occupation and moved the wall onto their territory, the wall is snakes through the West Bank, I think their security concerns would disappear.
0: And why don't they? Because they want the West Bank?
1: Because I think it's become ideologi they've become ideologically mm-hmm. French that that land is ours right okay. uh, there is there is a, a military culture, there is a political culture, and there is um, an industry that benefits that makes enormous profit.
0: Okay. well that gets us to the next question <laughs>
1: okay. which
0: is. Uh, this book, again, like a question I had, I just yeah. wanted to answer. And you, it, I think the answer was in the title, Straight Power Concepts in the Middle yeah. East. Yeah. Is the next book you wrote and the next book that I read, because my question was, and again, like my world is very conspiranoid and I'm always looking under rocks and seeing things in the shadows. And a, a very big conspiracy theory is that, um, I mean, the Rothschilds run the world and they established Israel and they control the United States or and that our policy, you know, it's kind of the tail wagging the dog. But when I look at Netanyahu, like his struggle for power, which he seems to be, you know, he just cannot be beaten back, like even though he keeps getting defeated or sidelined and then comes roaring back. Yeah, he's not he's not. That guy's not running the world. So maybe the Rothschilds are. No. Maybe they're running. But but the question about U.S.-Israeli policy, and actually the subtitle is U.S. foreign policy, Israel and world history. Yeah. Uh, it seems to me your position is that straight power concepts is the driving force here. Can you explain that?
1: It's about power. It's about that. It, it's not more. It's not more complicated than that. It's about power. Who's about- power
0: though? Who ha- Who is the entity? Is it the Rand Corporation? Is it Raytheon? Is it Henry Kissinger? Like, who is the power?
1: It's about, um, it's about the United States establishing what what I've seen compared to uh, a, an aircraft carrier that's docked, and that aircraft carrier is called Israel. Isra- these the Americans saw something in the Israelis in 48 that they liked and they thought we can have a regional junkyard dog because the Americans took over as regional hegemon uh, in 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 the Middle East uh, from the British and the French except the Americans decided we're not going to control the Middle East like those guys did. Those guys had boots on the ground. It's very expensive. It's a headache. We're going to control the Middle East by remote control.
0: Interesting. And how does yeah? How does that function?
1: Well, it functions like you sponsor the worst thugs in the region to run the countries. Uh, you develop secret police in those countries. Uh, in the case of Israel you you know you support and look the other way when they develop nuclear weapons uh, those fighter jets ripping over the sky over Gaza, those are those are American fighter jets. We just have Israeli pilots flying f-16s you know um, the Americans saw an opportunity in 48. They're like, wow, these guys really know how to fight and they're willing to fight. And so and so it's it, it behooves the Americans to keep Israel on a militant footing. That's not to suggest that Israel gets its leash jerked occasionally by the Americans, by the president, uh by the State Department. They get their get their leash jerked. When they color outside too far outside the lines, they don't want things to become so unstable that they Mm -hmm. become hard to control. They just want to maintain a baseline instability. So
0: if I visualize it this way, if you took Israel out, you could have a very big political block of power that's totally alien to the Western colonial powers.
1: You mean the Middle East? Yeah,
0: like you could take the Middle East, you could take like a Pan-Arab, you know what I mean? If you think of yeah. Nas- Nasser or Gaddafi or whatever, like envisioning yeah. Pan-Arab, you know, yeah. a block that has real power because they have resources, you know, and then, and then an alliance with them, say to Russia or whatever, could be as powerful as, as an alliance with India. You know, it, it can be extremely yeah. powerful if they're unified, which I actually think that um, I've had this thought about Sykes Pico kind of being a patchwork and not really following maybe I'm wrong about it, but it's been criticized for not really following tribal or intentionally mm-hmm. dividing you know going through subcultures and putting a you know a national boundary and I yeah. feel like it may have actually backfired a little bit over time as some of the more powerful countries when you think of the people we have taken out, from Saddam Saddam Hussein, and we try to get rid of Assad, and these guys are secular leaders. It's not really, you're right, it's not about religion, because the ones that we're threatened by are not Saudi Arabia. Which is the religious one, yeah. but the secular ones, and I feel like that it was really that patchwork within certain countries that allows this vision of a pan-Arab, you know, because they do have a multicultural thing there. Where my family from Syria was Christian, was like uh, some Orthodox Christian, yeah, and that that actually started to become a strength in that they could they could cross barriers and unite, and if they didn't have disruption, which is also kind of what I think about when then um, I feel like there was some fostering, and I think there's evidence of this, of what was in the book I read, venal imams trying to like make a kind of more radical religiosity or whatever and want to restructure the new Middle East on more of these tribal grounds because I think that patchwork thing was starting to backfire. And so I so I all I'm just saying is if I envision that if you if you leave Israel there, like it definitely would be in the way of that kind of, you know, uniform block.
1: The Americans, excuse me, after World War II, the Americans saw an opportunity to take to take their expansionism global. And so obviously the Middle East was of strategic concern. So the Americans established very close ties with the saudis saudi arabia with uh, with the israelis and those are really the twin pillars of u.s foreign policy in in the middle east you know with, with those two those two powers and they still are really and i guess you could include egypt but it was a, it was a way of securing of consolidating control in that part of the world Which, yes, had a lot to do with oil, Um, especially in the post-World War II period, early post-World War II period that became crucial. And now, I don't, I mean, we don't use that much Middle Eastern oil.
0: And now we're trying to move away from fossil fuels altogether, which...
1: Yeah, that that party is over. And, you know, so then the Saudis know that.
0: I actually think that the whole climate change fossil fuel thing is, um, among other things... Totally geopolitical to like move away from because I don't think we're winning that war against Russia. Russia has the resources. We're not getting Yeah. They they're there. Like that we have to have Israel there, but they are actually there. You know, they have literally physical uh you know, countries that speak Russian that that get very close to the Middle East if I if I
1: I well, I don't I don't think the Russians the 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 the, the Americans have always you know, that's been their cover story is that, oh, there's, these are national security concerns because the Russians are up to no good. I'm not I, worried
0: about the Russians being up to no good. I, All I, I'm saying, I, saying is if if
1: over, yeah,
0: if we're Go having on. international competition, and I think of it more as like the corporate governmental continuum, where if if the military industrial complex or the big energy or whatever Cannot win in a battle for because I, I think like if it go, that can go back to Rockefeller wanting, if I recall correctly, wanting a global monopoly on oil, a global monopoly on oil, which I would think he would undermine the czar in order to make that happen. And I think Russia yeah. was, did not compete on the oil front during its Soviet years, and I just feel like that's still something at play. And they never got they meaning Rockefeller the whole Western cabal never got a monopoly on worldwide oil. And I think that they they may feel like the power base cannot be controlled, and so we're better off just dividing the world in two and alienating Russia and trying to move away from fossil fuels. But you know that's that's in a rabbit hole. So I'm but not, not going to drag you down into my rabbit hole, Gregory. I think the
1: big I think the I think the big money is in arms. Hmm. I don't think the big the big money that how much how much Middle Eastern oil do we import? About twenty percent. I mean, yeah, and much. it's
0: expensive to extract. Versus- not much.
1: Yeah, not much. About twenty percent. You know,
0: building think, stuff and blowing it up and building it again to blow it I up think again. That seems the, like the, a-
1: the big money is uh, is is foreign. What's called foreign military financing. So we give you know three billion dollars a year to Israel, and then it comes with a stipulation. And Egypt. And Egypt, Egypt gets about a billion and a half, not maybe a little less. But about a billion and a half. Now Egypt has to spend every nickel yeah. on American weaponry, and they Israel's don't get seventy-four percent.
0: They don't distinguish uh, police from army; like they can use their army on their own people in Egypt.
1: Oh, it's encouraged. So that disturbs
0: yeah. me because, well, the whole thing disturbs me, of course. But I'm just saying, like they, yeah. when I first discovered that, it's like all of our quote aid to Egypt is just—it's kind of you know big pharma does stuff like that with our tax dollars as
1: well which makes me no this goes back to the eisenhower administration there there were declassified documents uh showing that you know there were internal conversations with planners saying we have an agenda in the middle east and The people there aren't going to like it.
0: Oh, wow. So you're saying conflict for conflict's sake was baked in from the beginning? Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah. We have have an agenda. We're going to go forward with it. The people there aren't going to like it. So that's the job of these thug leaders is to police their own, is to maintain their own security internally, domestically, so the Americans don't have to. This is all part of that remote control mechanism.
0: And how do you come upon this knowledge? I totally agree. Like it's resonant. It totally uh, sounds true. Do yeah. you, is that, does, is that more born of you going on the ground over there and talking to people or are you, no. you're just reading no. documents and there it is?
1: There's Eisenhower stuff. There's Got a it. scholar, there's a scholarly history. Of just, there's a book just on that, you yeah.
0: know. So I'll, I'll put the, links to all these books in the show notes. I mean, I just, I have to say, if you're looking for a basic introduction to the Palestine-Israel conflict, uh, Gregory Harms with Todd Ferry is the place to go, the place to start. So here are my other questions is, first of all, have you had, have you been critiqued or refuted or attacked based on this, which I would consider like a highly fact-based book? Like, have you been attacked for that?
1: I've received some nasty emails, about that's about the worst of it.
0: That nobody ever went through line by line and said, you're wrong, no. refuted no. your arguments, refuted no. your arguments. Okay.
1: No. I get some, I get some like from the hip.
0: Emotional so, stuff. Yeah.
1: Sort of, a, you know, it's just emotional. They're just angry. I get some nasty emails and not many of them, but I've got, I have gotten them, but they're you know, I don't get people saying, "Oh, on on, on this end note, you know, you you know, you cite yeah. the wrong pages." Well, that, you know, that doesn't happen.
0: <laughs> no, but for them to say like this is extremely one sided. Like every fact you have ignores that this happened, that happened, this happened. So, you know, because this 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 book is about the establishment of yeah. a state of Israel in. A place that was Palestine before that. So as yeah. that progresses, it feels like it's just a march forward of that agenda, and it doesn't feel like there was you know anything but that in the story. And I just wondered if anyone denies it.
1: I don't think anyone could deny that. I mean, you could, of course, you know, people are people are capable of all kinds of self deception and so on. Uh, Everything I talk about in the book, you can go see for yourself by going there. I've seen the most fist-in-the-air, pro-Israeli, you know, independent journalists. In a, uh, they see the damage and the destruction, and they just—I watched them. They pivoted.
0: Wow, interesting.
1: They're like, I had no idea.
0: Wow, really?
1: Yeah, I've watched it happen. There I've are
0: some like um, yeah, voices for peace in Israel. Yeah. Uh, there's one I think it's a Hebrew word. I used to I used to follow this more closely when I was on the radio because it was such a hot topic, but there are journalists who write in English from over from Israel who
1: yes. do yes. have
0: firsthand information on that. So it is such an uncomfortable. Conversation to have. I think it's probably easier to have it in Israel because when you talk about this stuff there, there's just it it seems so immediately polarizing, especially since October seventh, where it's you know you're an Islamophobe or you're anti-Semitic. That's it.
1: Yeah, right, right.
0: Do you have any insight into how to rise above that emotionalism?
1: I mean, I think you just stick to the facts. Just stick to. I mean it's easy to view these things through a religious prism or a nationalist prism or a race a racist prism. Um I think if you but if you're thinking ideologically, you're not thinking. You know, you're 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 looking at this through a warped lens. Uh, I just think you need to look at the facts and look at the look at the responsible scholarly literature, look at the human rights record. It's Unequivocal. It's very clear what's being done to these people. I have. It's got nothing to do with like anti-Semitism or.
0: But there, I I I don't know if it's propaganda or what. But my best friend who died a couple of years ago, she was Jewish, and she she was very afraid. Like she had fears of being what she used to say exterminated. Like she used to really be afraid that there you know if you gave up that Israel was fighting for her ability to exist. I mean that's the that's the emotion that's
1: that I I would say Israel is endangering her right to exist. Right. And I think right. Israel is creating this fear. Interesting. By maintaining the occupation. If you maintain the, if, if you're maintaining an occupation, you don't have a moral, you don't have a position. I mean, you can't claim self-defense. You're the problem. And, and, and you can criticize the occupation. And, and, look I, I, I I've said this for years uh, if you're if you're defending Israel's behavior, then you are adopting an anti-israeli position <laughs> because the occupation hurts Israel mm-hmm. if you want to do something pro-israeli, that's actually pro-israeli you criticize the occupation and there have been a list of former uh high-ranking you know uh israeli intelligence agents operatives elites and former now retired military elites who have come out and said this is no good for this country this occupation of palestine hurts israel so if you're defending israel's behavior then you are then you are adopting an anti-israeli position
0: wow that that brings me back to the straight power concepts book <laughs> like that makes me feel like this is the most important yeah. book because that takes the emotion out of it, kind of like it's not about religion. Like you don't have to feel like it's identity-based or existential or no, any not. of that. It's that it's a it's an, um it's a dangerous military political position yeah. that's that's influenced by powers that do not represent the people of Israel or no, <laughs> you know,
1: don't.
0: global Jewry. It's just not it's it no, is got it's I, mean, I
1: mean these 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 former now retired uh intelligence elites and the military elites who say this again and again and again and again, are they anti Semites?
0: <laughs> that's not ridiculous. So.
1: That's 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 ridiculous. Are they anti Israeli? No,
0: definitely
1: not. No, of course not. They probably course, still live there. Of course they do, yeah. These are these are these are Israeli Jews who love their country, who serve their country with distinction. They were very high ranking intelligence operatives, high ranking military officers, some of them generals. Uh and I don't think we can accuse them of being anti Semites. Right. That's it's preposterous, you know? And I think what they say should be taken quite seriously.
0: I was thinking Gush Shalom, I think, is the other one. Maybe Mm -hmm. I'm not pronouncing it right, as long as... Gush Shalom, yeah. Yeah, Israeli Voices for Peace, I think, and maybe you can find some of those quotes there, but also in your book. That was just such an interesting place to leave it, and I really appreciate that, because I have to say, like, this issue upsets me on so many levels. Like, I just, I can't stand it, because, you know, there's the emotions are so intense that it's, it's almost impossible to try to analyze it objectively, which I try to do without, without hurting people. I, I just say, ha- I hate to hurt people's feelings, but if, you know, these are the, requires courage to really try to examine. It. And I wouldn't even tell people to believe or not believe. I highly recommend people read your books and, you know, look at the sources, try to, Find, you know, equally scholarly arguments for any facts that you might think are not true or draw your own conclusions and pose your own ideology on it if you want to, but have the courage to, you know, examine the facts and think clearly about the stated motives for some of these actions.
1: This conflict has been meticulously documented. And the the scholarly literature on this conflict is vast. When you go to Harvard or you go to Princeton and you study diplomacy, these are the books that they're reading. So we know the facts. There's no room for debate. Or, I mean, I guess you could debate some of the minutia, I guess.
0: Yeah, I mean, what you're talking about is like above the level of the
1: Emotionally, emotionally yeah, yeah. It, when they're what they're talking about in graduate seminars at harvard in princeton uh there's no there's no emotional debate <laughs> about what the facts are we know what the facts are the facts are have been footnoted from here to eternity you know we know what the facts are
0: so um Well, I'm just so impressed that you put this all together as someone who is not actually, uh, you know, an experienced author. So (laughs) I love it and I will, I'll link it. But what do you want, you know, people to know? Are there projects that you want people to be aware of? Like, what would you say if they had to start with something? Would it be that first book? I mean, what do you want to tell people as we wrap this up?
1: I would get, well, if they want to get, you know, just kind of like get their feet wet, I'd say start with the, first book you know if they want to learn about the conflict if they want to like a bigger picture survey then i would start with the third book it's not about religion
0: and what's your fourth book i haven't read that i don't have that one yet
1: the fourth one is on um people in the united states who are always talking about how we shouldn't talk about politics and religion <laughs> I, I take the position that we should
0: yes that was i actually going to tell people That's right when I,
1: talked, I talked with to william William Ramsey,
0: it was a great conversation, doesn't overlap with what we talked about at all, but I just, I loved how you approached ideology, labels, having these conversations. And I, I will say the one thing that was, I thought, a great idea as Thanksgiving is approaching is don't start your conversations with where you disagree, start your conversations with where you agree
1: Yeah, don't 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 get lost in the whole liberal conservative nonsense. I know, I love it. it, it. it, it, It's not helpful.
0: Well, (laughs) I have to say, Gregory, I had tried to contact you several times over the years, and yeah,
1: I gotta work out. I gotta, I gotta look at my form on my website.
0: Yeah, but a friend of mine, James, offered to try to track you down, and and he did. And I have to say, like, I'm uh, uh, exceeded expectations. I didn't expect that kind of you know all the all the philosophical wisdom I heard you exchanging with William. <laughs> and it's just yeah. fun. It's been super fun. And uh, oh man, I do think that this subject it's just really. Uh, sensitive for people, so it's a little hard to tackle. So I admire your courage and your scholarship. So thank you very much.
1: I really appreciate it, Monica. Thanks for having me.
0: All right. So GregoryHarms.com is a good place to get that. Or you can go on Amazon or you can look at Monica Perez's show. uh, Sorry, (laughs) Monica'sDeepDives.com for all the show notes. Thank you so much for being here. And thank you all for listening. This has been Deep Dives with Monica Perez.